0: Hi there, Veggie mates, welcome back. I'm your host Matthew Davy, and this is episode number 73 of the Veg Talk Podcast. So today we are chatting with Stephanie Erev. Stephanie is a political theorist. Her research is situated at the intersection of democratic theory and eco-philosophy, focusing in particular on the politics of belonging. She is currently an assistant professor at Portland State University and has a passion for climate change research. Today, we chat about the intersectionality between the climate emergency and the political landscape. It's a fascinating topic and one that is more important than ever. Our relationship with the planet has got us into this situation we find ourselves in and we simply cannot carry on the way we were. Earth has provided us with some pretty immediate feedback after our period of isolation, clearer water in venice canals clearer sky in places as close as los angeles and also seen in india and china you might have heard more birds chirping in your neighborhood as well let's get straight into it today i apologize in advance as there were some slight connection issues on my end but i hope the editing process took care of most of that as always enjoy the show guys and i'll catch you all on the other side to wrap things up all right steph Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you giving up the time in your busy schedule. Uh, You know, your work has continued, so you're busier than ever, I'm sure. And adapting to the new times of uh, COVID-19 and isolation. So thank you. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great. Uh, It's great to be with you.
0: Cool. Cool. Looking forward to it. So I'd love to hear just a little bit about, um, about yourself and your background studying where you grew up and yeah how you got to be a professor at portland state university
1: absolutely so um i grew up in uh in new york state and uh, did my undergraduate work there uh at the state university of new york at albany where i studied political theory um you know among other things i majored in, in political science uh specializing in political theory and then I worked for a couple of years and then I came back to graduate school. Uh, so I did my, my, my doctoral work at Johns Hopkins University in political science. Um, stayed with the subfield of political theory and just got a job and began teaching at Portland State this year as an assistant professor.
0: Cool, cool. That's a, a cool journey. How was the Johns Hopkins is like a pretty, it's a really well-known Institute. Uh, what was it? What was it like studying there?
1: It was a cool p- place to be. Uh, it was a wonderful place to be. I feel so fortunate to have worked with the people I got to work with, um, you know, advisors, uh, faculty members there, but also there's just a fabulous group of of PhD students at Johns Hopkins who have really become like family <laughs> um, and whom I continue to work with on a regular basis. So yeah, Hopkins was wonderful.
0: Nice. And, and that's where you completed your, that's where you completed your dissertation.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, what,
0: what did you do for that?
1: Well, the dissertation is, uh, it's entitled earthy considerations and it is an exploration In part, it's, it's a two part study. The first part looks back at the politics of what's sometimes called anthropocentrism or sort of human-centeredness, and looking at the, the what it means for other people when people in powerful positions um, organize politics around uh, exclusively human concerns. And so the first part of the study explored the, the ways that this kind of focus tends to work against democracy. So it leads to, historically, right, it has led to a... Uh, um, desire to sort of police the category of the human so that only certain kinds of human beings fit inside this very privileged category. Um, and so alongside, right, all, all of the effects that I uh, I know we'll, we'll talk about as we go, um, where, where a lot of people in Western cultures imagine themselves to exist outside of nature. So that's, of course, one big right set of effects that come with this. Another was um, that that a whole other set of people were subordinated, excluded, oppressed, enslaved, and all of this was justified, right, by, by sort of describing them as being closer to nature in some way and therefore requiring um, either education or oversight or, or something along those lines. And then the second part of this study tried to think differently about the relations of humans to the earth um, and explore different ways of not just thinking about it, but also experiencing ourselves as as uh, earthly beings.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's super important, I think, now more than ever for us to, uh, I suppose, shift our thinking around how we interact with nature, and we'll definitely get into that. Um, So from the dissertation, I understand that you're looking to turn this into a book or continue continue the work and and create a book so it's going to run along the same themes or will there be additions how, how do you kind of foresee that panning out
1: uh yeah thanks It's a great it's a great question it's the, the question of the hour for me right now <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, i anticipate that there will be additions the the idea will be to focus more on the second part that i just described so sort of imagining otherwise and trying to think about all of the different ways—I'll I'll try this language. You see if it—you uh, tell me if it—if it makes sense. Uh, all of the different ways that nature flows into humans and humans flow into nature. So, trying to um, um, make the lines of division a bit more porous and see what happens then to how we experience ourselves and one another and the environments in which we find ourselves once we shift that—that that conceptual landscape.
0: Sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds again, super, super important, um, now more than ever. So I look forward to, uh, checking that out when, you know, whenever, whenever that gets released into the world, I understand books are a a tedious, long, uh, process usually. So, uh, I do. Yeah. Look forward to that. And thanks for, thanks for sharing.
1: Thank you. I'm going to hold you to it.
0: (laughs) We can get you on again, uh, when it's, uh, (laughs) it's all wrapped up and we can have a chat so a question that i've got for you is so given the study that you've done at what point did you start linking it to climate and and your interests start to peak with uh with climate change and linking it all together
1: yeah that's a that's a great question so believe it or not for me it was uh, I had, you know, read a lot about the the climate science and um, educated myself on a lot of the most important scientific concepts um, and formulas, if you'd like. But it wasn't until I read a work of climate fiction, or sometimes called Cli-Fi, that I really felt, right, the immensity of this event. Um, and I sort I felt it in a much more, uh, almost totalizing way than any of the this more... Um, scientifically oriented knowledge that I had acquired up until that time. Now, probably, you know, the the scientific knowledge and this fictional account uh, worked together, but I I have a very clear memory of reading a book, um, you know, a chapter of a book of climate fiction and just sort of feeling like my world had just been turned upside down.
0: Wow. So when you're talking about climate fiction, this is like some dystopian climate story how would you describe it was it? um
1: yeah i guess there were elements of of sort of dystopia um you know it's funny i can't even really remember the specific details <laughs> of the story i was reading i i have a much more vivid sense of the of the experience of reading it um mm-hmm. but i you know i, I think it was of, of a family uh moving their you know finding their way through uh through a woods in search of of some kind of shelter and um there came a point in the plot where they sort of had to put their bodies on the line. And it was that moment of, of seeing them put their bodies on line that uh, I realized, you know, it sort of materially represented just what's at stake for, for all of us in very, very different ways, of course um, with the, with the kinds of prospects that we seem to be facing um, ecologically.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely got to a point where, It does, you know, despite, I mean, what's going on right now, obviously taking uh, control of most of the media that we are consuming. I'm not sure if, can you hear me? Yeah, given that we're kind of being inundated with, uh, you know, the same media over and over again about the, you know, the the situation with COVID-19 and basically a global lockdown um, before that. Climate change was definitely a topic that was peaking and something that's uh, in conversation when it comes to elections. Um, you know, whether it be a local official, state official, federal official, people want to know uh, what their stance is on climate change. We want to learn more about how we can uh, go about fixing the problem ourselves. So it's definitely got to that, uh, that point where we're all very, very interested now. Um, how, I suppose with COVID-19 and the lockdown, how have you seen the two kind of interplaying and, and yeah, what have we, what have we seen as a, as a result of the current situation?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, one place to, to start is to think about the ways that climate change and COVID Um, are related to one another so uh, you know the term climate change like any term that gets used a lot almost starts to lose its sense right after it's repeated so very many times
0: totally Um, i think i read today and i a lot of people still think when they hear the word climate change they think of sea rise sea levels going up and that's it that's where it ends for them like that's that's all they're thinking about when they hear the words climate change so sorry to cut you off but yeah it's kind of crazy that we're still there
1: yeah, I agree. Um, especially because the, the you know the the social economic processes that have um, right done so much to put all of these greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere are also in play. We can call it global capitalism, um, you know, and 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 empire um, are also at play in deforestation and the intrusion more and more into habitats of animals that have not had regular or even any contact really with members of the human species. Uh, And when that happens and you have, you know, when humans have no immunity to a, to a sometimes called a zoonotic disease, um, in the interconnected world we live in today, these things, you know, as we're, as we're all witnessing um, with great devastation can just uh, spread across the planet seemingly overnight. Um, So the two are very much, um, you know, they they are not wholly separate to begin with. Um, And you read some of these dire warnings that are starting to come out now from um, infectious disease specialists, right? That unless these kinds of habitats are preserved and respected. Um, it's likely that we will see more of these as time uh, goes on. So, so that's maybe one one place to start. Um, another thing that is interesting to think about is, I don't know about your social media feeds, but mine have been filled with um, discussions of a couple of of couple of main sorts. One is look at nature nature's coming back. You know, where humans have withdrawn, nature is starting to flourish again. And another one is, oh, well, won't this be good for climate change because of the drastic reduction in emissions? That's right. That's that's happened as a result of the, you know, not total, of course, but um, significant shutdown in industrial production and uh, and consumption and, of course, travel. So, um you know, there, there. These are really interesting conversations that people are having. Um, some more interesting, of course, than others. Um, but maybe one, one thing that can be said is, while it's, it's true that the, you know, we have seen, or I, I think I saw yesterday that the, almost a, a record-breaking reduction in emissions over such a short period of time since records began. Um, but they're short-term. You know, they're short-term reductions. And so it's up to us to demand, you know, that they not just be short-term reductions, um, but rather right, that we use this as an occasion to refashion, to refashion the way we live, um, because there's a there's a risk now that with depleted budgets at the you know mean municipal level as well as in in companies and other institutions, uh, there's a risk that those who had been considering large-scale projects, we'll call them green green projects, you know, shorthand, might not be willing to to take that leap anymore. Um, so, so political pressure is definitely needed.
0: Definitely, yeah. It's a it's a funny kind of uh, balance. So we're, we're you know we're seeing one extreme where, okay, this is actually what happens when. A high majority of the population are forced inside, and to change their lifestyle, uh, to change their day to day. And when I first saw, like, you know, the Venice canals becoming clear in in Italy, I thought, you know, is this real? Like, I, I need to look this up further and see if this is actually real. And then you see, you know, the skyline in Los Angeles or other cities around the world, seeing seeing the sky for the first time in years uh, rather than you know just a haze of smog so it's great feedback for the human population you know we're getting immediate feedback from the earth and then what you're kind of alluding to there is okay when this does go back to normal quote unquote i don't think we're going to see normal i think there's going to be A very different way of life than what we were used to coming out of this it's probably going to be staggered in terms of how we get back Um, but it's also going to raise a lot of questions on okay how do we strike some kind of balance between this you know hyper consumerism that we're partaking in um also the, the wall street and shareholders demanding that basically that businesses grow year on year and having this endless growth uh, that is obviously so inextricably linked to the climate disaster. Um, So I've been, whenever I've got time on my own, whether it be on a walk or I don't know in the shower, like it just consumes my, my mind in terms of like, okay, coming out of this, how can we go about changing? So maybe we'll get to that a little bit further down the conversation, but I'd love to pull it back a little bit and just understand, you know, where we are now. So kind of where we're at and what we know uh, with, with the science that's available today.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a political scientist technically, uh, uh, (laughs) and not a climate scientist, but, uh, I, I, think of myself as a, you know, I read these, these materials obsessively, probably not good for my health. Um, but, uh, let me give you a, um, let's talk a little bit maybe about the different ways of, of conceptualizing, um, the dangers and the timing of the dangers because I think that's that's probably still a big issue. As you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, um, many people when they think of climate change, they tend to think of the danger as being limited to sea level rise, you know, and associated flooding and, and things of this sort. Mm-hmm. And an unspoken, I think, assumption in that formulation is that, well, that stuff happens over very long stretches of time which in many cases is true but is not always true. There's been um, more and more research coming uh, into being these days showing really quite rapid changes historically over short periods of uh, excuse me really significant changes over his over short periods of time historically right so little little periods of speeding up of processes that many people are used to thinking about as very slow, gradual, almost like happening in the background, right? Not where all the action is, but the sort of backdrop against which the action takes place. Um, But, you know, that's, uh, that's a comfortable, I think, way of, of imagining where we're at right now, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be, um, in in touch with the science of what's sometimes referred to as tipping points. You can think of them in a sort of very general way as, let's say you've got lots of little um, cracks or fissures, right, forming along the surface of something, or lots of little quiet tiny happenings that are going on beneath the radar that nobody's really noticing or paying attention to, but then all of a sudden something triggers and a major event happens that you can't really undo afterwards. You can think of that as a a tipping point. And um, an article came out, uh, I think it was in November of 2019. I believe it was either in the journal Science or the the journal Nature, warning not not just of the dangers of, of tipping points, but of what the authors of that paper refer to as a global cascade of tipping points. What do I mean by global cascade of tipping points? It means that a tipping point in one domain might then set off a tipping point in another domain, which would then you see set off one another in a a cascade. Um, So uh, you can think of ice melt, biodiversity loss. Um, I'm I'm, I'm blanking at the moment on.
0: I could probably share the screen and bring up that article. Cool, is this it Steph? Yes. Yes. So let's keep going. So this is the article you're referring to. Um and I think what I want to go to and tell me if this is a good spot but it's the little graphic that they have available showing possible yes. cascading effects and interrelatedness of everything that's going on. And I think it's a very feasible case to say that one tipping point would cause another tipping point given what we know about the interconnectedness of ecosystems and basically the planet so if you'd like to yeah continue uh, i'd love to hear a little bit more sure to
1: me the mo- you know as somebody who who's thinks about these things from a political perspective the the most important takeaway if you like from from a piece such as this one is is timeline right? It's related to timelines, specifically timelines for action. Um, because you don't have to have a guarantee that tipping points are going to be triggered and then will trigger one another in a cascade. Even just the possibility of this, right, should, should um, shake us out of our <laughs> not totally universal collective stupor, but many of us, I think, are uh, probably guilty in, 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 to some degree of, of remaining in a, in a stupor Uh, to the extent that, you know, we're not doing everything within our power all the time (laughs) Um, to address these, these really uh, explosive uh, dangers that, that are coming down the pipe.
0: Definitely. And, you know, just one, I suppose one of these possibilities, it's not even really a possibility because it's happening right now, but talking about what's going on in Antarctica, you know, the other day, probably not that long ago, it might've been a month ago now. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but there was an article released and it was like 70 degrees Fahrenheit in Antarctica. Um, and this is a great article for anyone uh, that wants to, to have a look. That's the name of the article there. Climate tipping points too risky to bet against And, yeah, just hearing about uh, the possibility. I think it was uh, one event happening in Antarctica. If that gets to a point where it's irreversible, it's going to trigger another event event in Antarctica, which becomes irreversible. Uh, And then the diagram there suggesting that, you know, the Greenland ice sheet, uh, the rate that that's melting uh, can have a cascade on other places um around the world uh, that's going to basically turn carbon sinks into carbon emitters so permafrost thawing what that that's a double negative it means we're losing a, a source of um carbon sequestration we're losing that source and we're turning it into a source of carbon emission because it's holding what thousands of years of, of carbon sequestra- sequestration Um, so yeah, I think I'll, um, stop sharing the screen for those that are going to be viewing this on YouTube, but yeah, really just a, um, yeah, a crazy kind of, uh, possibility there.
1: Yeah, uh I mean absolutely and it's it's not just uh permafrost although so your uh explanation was was excellent. There's been some uh research in recent months that uh, addressing the Amazon rainforest and of course oceans um and and soil, you know, not permafrost but but soil more generally also have historically been major sources um of absorption and are, you know, starting to, to show signs in select areas of perhaps no longer uh, holding on to, but, you know, beginning to cross over into releasing some of these stores of, uh, of greenhouse gas. Now, just, you know, to to be clear, the, the piece we discussed about climate tipping points has not been without contestation you know it's it's been some people have hotly disputed the uh suggestions the authors make in that piece but again from um from a political standpoint uh, to me the the very possibility of what's described in that article is is
0: sufficient exactly yeah i i totally agree that um you know that should be the case i wish there was urgency um, on a kind of, uh, you know, on a global level, from uh, from our political leaders, political parties, um, but it's it's not really close to that right now. I know that they've done things like the Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Agreement. I, I believe is is another one, uh, but I don't think they're really getting at the core. Uh, the core problem uh, of what we need to do uh, as a society. So, given that you know these things are, are possibilities, um, what I just what is going to make society, or what do you think would make society act as if it's a real like threat that? it's happening now. Like, I don't want to make it sound like it's not happening now because it is, but how do we conceptualize it as something that is happening now? It's a direct threat and we do need to act uh, on an individual level, political level, uh, like the pandemic that we're experiencing. What do you think would need to happen for us to do that?
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the big question. Um, So some, some good news to start there are, there are and have been many people acting uh, already, so that's 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 one point, and we'll we'll come back to that in uh, you know in a couple of of minutes. So so there are plenty of really amazing examples out there that can be turned to and learned from on the part of those who have yet to you know maybe maybe you've dipped your toes in the water a little bit or maybe you haven't even done that yet. That's okay. Um, but there are lots of really Im- impressive and inspiring examples out there. So we can talk about those um, in a couple of, a couple of minutes. But first, I think it's important to address um, what has been a highly seductive uh, ideology that's, in, in my view, um, a, a big obstacle to, to addressing these, these grave problems, and that is um, market ideology. So the idea of, of markets as um, almost infallible pathways to progress and freedom and you know, all of the, you can fill in the, the blank there, but to the good life, right? Markets as, as reliable pathways to the good life uh, has has been a very persuasive story to a lot of people um and there, it, it has crossed cultural boundaries and found its way into the hearts of um you know even even those who do not directly benefit right currently from from market systems and and we, let's you know let's put that on the table too because it's crucial that these same processes that are making life more difficult uh, for many people today have uh, because for climate reasons right have been um, destroying the lives of so many of us for since they've been around really Um, but that's another right that's another opportunity I don't mean to sound like I'm Looking through rose-colored glasses here. When I say opportunity, I mean for those those of us who are looking for ways to make a meaningful, positive difference, um, it, you can address all of these intersecting problems together. So inequality, um, white supremacy, um, imp- you know, imperialism, and a livable future. Uh, these things can be addressed together in. Really productive and powerful ways, as you know, we'll talk in a couple of minutes about some of the examples. Um, but uh, so, so, so markets, big, a big, a big obstacle or 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 barrier, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, what needs to happen? Well, I think it's you know it's going to be different. For for everyone. I don't I don't myself believe that one big major cataclysmic event would right, would would wake everybody up. That's a nice idea. And it would be great to be wrong about that.
0: But we've already um, had them, right? We've yeah, had we we've had these like exactly. Amazon fires, Australian fires, hurricane after hurricane here in the US. And still, yeah, it's uh what they're happening.
1: Yeah, they are. And um you know, I think, I think, look, okay, let me, let me put it this way. So um, there was a study a couple of years ago um, that described the ways in which non-human life forms, so animal, non-human animals, as well as plants and other other forms of life have been responding to changes, large scale changes in climate. And the authors, I, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but they describe something like a universal redistribution of life on Earth. So local populations of species are moving to new, new terrains, new territories. Um, even plants are like moving uphill, which is, you know, sometimes um, strange to imagine because, well, because I don't tend to imagine plants moving in that way, but, but this is, this is right. Some of the things they're describing. And, and as far as um, I know, these responses are happening, not after the trees read about it in the newspaper or talked about it with their friends on social media, right? There are other kinds of feelings that every other life form seems to be experiencing and responding to. And, and to me, it's, it's strange to imagine that humans aren't feeling it. You now, by it, right? That's that's what that's. You can ask questions about what the it is, um, but my my point in, in raising this is the to suggest that at some level, um, everybody's experiencing something, right? Something a little off, something a little different, and so one way to think about what could drive greater action is to think about ways of getting in touch with those feelings right and and that requires thinking about ourselves um not as separate from nature but as one among many kinds of of life um that you know it it requires connections with all different kinds of of life forms and ecosystems and and earth systems um in order to be able to live at all.
0: That is kind of like a mind blowing thought. Like that (laughs) is so cool. Like that's such a cool thing to think about and the truth behind it with other animals, the way they interact and experience nature, they, they feel it, they respond to it. That's how they live their lives. We, on the other hand, Build you know these cement structures that we live in, work in we travel in steel spaceships that have wheels, <laughs> like you know a car we we just r- remove ourselves from uh, from nature in just such a big way, so for us to even you know get to what you 're saying, I suppose the would the first step actually be interacting with nature more than we are now because we're just so far removed so
1: one thing i would say is that i think there are many of us right who would fall under the description you just you just gave sort of being understanding ourselves as being removed from from nature but there are also so many people who don't think of themselves that way and who haven't thought of themselves that way and in fact who've been Right, victims of um, uh, you know systemic uh, violence as a, because they don't feel that way. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of um, there was an article written by a professor named Daniel Wildcat. Uh, I believe he's enrolled in the uh, Muskogee Creek Nation, and he in this article he talks about how um, I can't remember if he uses the term settlers or. Uh, Americans. I don't remember the term he uses, but he Mm -hmm. says, right, that that some people um, learn about climate change by through highly mediated fora, right? So, so newspapers, social media, these kinds of things. While uh, he's describing in this case, American Indians and Alaska Natives learn about it because their ways of life are much more attentive to and and acknowledge, right, the the reciprocities between humans and nature and so are alert to uh cyclical changes seasons for example um in 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 less mediated ways is maybe one way one way to put it so um there again you know there are um examples of um of totally uh not totally but but meaningfully different ways of of living and, and thinking about What life can be like, Uh, so that's that's one thing to note. But I think maybe to respond more directly to your question, yeah, this is another place where I'm of the mind that it it's kind of got to be, you've got to find what works for you, Um, because each of us is different. We have different experiences. But the, the important thing is to find something and to go looking for it, you know, and to sort of keep an open mind about it because you never know what's going to um, spark your interest or your passion, right? What 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 existing example of um, of climate activism or of right of just living and thinking differently about the earth and yourself as a as an earthling, if you like. Um, so 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 I think the first step for for anyone is just kind of sitting with it. Right? Sitting with it and allowing yourself to be open to the you know the possibility that the future is not going to look like what you what you thought or hoped it would look like, but that that that, that doesn't mean that there's not a way to have a meaningful and fulfilling future, um, but you really do have to do the work of opening yourself up to new possibilities that's that's maybe a, an abstract way of of answering your question, but you tell me what you think
0: well, I think it definitely poses challenges for us because i would say that the the average person that uh, has at least opened themselves up to the idea of climate change and and sees that it exists i think they mean well and they mean well in their everyday life that um, you know they they want us and and the the rest of society to get I suppose the problem under control and to get past the, you know, the threats that we, we now uh, are exposed to. So I think the, the regular person, yeah, really wants that to happen. The challenge lies within our ability to see our role in the whole equation and how, we navigate ourselves to a position where we are actually in fact on a global scale, scale doing the best thing we possibly can uh, day in, day out for the environment. I think that's the biggest challenge. in It's just understanding our role that we have to play.
1: Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a good time to talk about um, electoral politics Mm -hmm. and um, social movements maybe.
0: Okay, cool. So I suppose there's a large portion of society that believes that when you go to the polls, it's it's your one and only chance to, to make change. It's your one and only chance. Everything outside of what happens after that is completely, it's out of your hands. And, um, you know, I suppose the current climate is interesting in, in America with, with an election coming up probably this year. We uh, will see if that mm-hmm. happens. We don't hundred percent know, um, but yes, let's talk about, um, let's talk about how that all um, plays out and, and what you've been out to research.
1: So there are a bunch of contending schools of thought with regard to uh, climate or environmental politics. Um, a lot of people uh, are skeptical of, and sometimes even wholly against the idea of personal changes, right? So changing personal habits, say consumption habits, for example. Um, other people uh, uh, let me go back from them they 're against it or skeptical because they believe that this kind of an approach feeds into what 's sometimes called green consumerism, right? which is to put it a bit simply we just we keep everything that exists right now we just make it appear green mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that is a real danger it 's a real risk because uh there have been ample examples of uh corporations doing precisely this sort of greenwashing to make themselves appear sustainable or environmentally friendly um but with the aim of getting people to buy more stuff so so it's a real risk i don't want to downplay that um you know another another school is uh suggests that the only way to make or or the the main way to make headway on these issues is through these, uh, through state institutions and international institutions that you mentioned earlier, the Paris Climate Accord. Um, but uh, you know, that, that, that getting the right people into power is what's needed. Um, and still others are uh, probably rightly skeptical of existing power structures um, and institutions. And believe that political institutions are so entrenched or um, bound up with right financial interests of, of big money donors and fossil fuel lobby is, you know, it's no, it's no joke. <laughs> um, those guys are really powerful. They continue to be extremely powerful. Um, and so this other school, you know, proposes a greater emphasis on, on social movements, sometimes even to the exclusion of uh, participating in electoral politics i mean my own my own sense is that we need action on all of these fronts and more um, and uh the we here of course is is uh, ambiguous and, and deserves attention um you know, who who exactly i'm i'm referring to with this we um, but uh, you, you mentioned earlier uh, um or um I know we've talked earlier about uh, the, the candidacy of, of Bernie Sanders. Um, mm-hmm. We could also mention Elizabeth Warren, right? So the progressive uh, wing of the Democratic Party being certainly much more explicit, at least uh, in in making commitments to tackle climate on at least something resembling the scale that's needed, you know, t- to really address the problems. Um, but with those candidates now out of the running, you know, for for the, for the most part, uh, there's been a lot of worry or even resignation that the remaining candidate is may not even commit to talking the talk, let alone walking the walk. A sort of uh, incrementalism, right, that haunts the center of the the Democratic Party, and not just on climate, but on many different fronts too, um, and has for a long time. So so these are all legitimate, right? I'm naming them all and they, mm-hmm. these are all bad things, but I'm naming them because I think they're legitimate concerns and legitimate worries. And I, I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, I, I um, tell myself every day that, yeah, okay, and I have to keep going anyway, um, right? And you have to keep finding a way anyway because that's where we are. Um, and creative solutions are needed and sometimes creative solutions don't emerge until you're in the thick of things. Um, and they can't really be mapped out in advance, but they, they, they come into being in a sort of uncoordinated way. Right. Um, but the important point is to be, is to be in it, to be, to be pushing, to be pushing on all fronts, uh, almost all the time. You need breaks, of course. Yeah.
0: You've got to stay sane, but what's, uh, what I think you've also alluded to it earlier in the conversation is the need for this multifaceted approach. It's not going to be one, uh, you know, one dimension that's going to pull us through all of a sudden. It's going to be pressing on all fronts consistently uh, growing as well in numbers. You know, there's still plenty of people out there that just flat out don't believe that there's a climate crisis going on. So growing in numbers is obviously going to help as well. Um, And I like that. I think that, in any social justice movement, in any emergency or, um, you know, threat of our time, it's going to take work on all fronts uh, to push the issue. My question to you politically, and I'm not very well versed in American politics, but the, the fear that you were speaking about before, that uh, this guy that we now have as a possibility as a as a president on the democratic side isn't exactly who we were hoping for and what i'm hearing out there is a lot of people that were in support of bernie sanders or elizabeth warren that they've decided that they're actually not going to vote at all because uh, the person that they were hoping uh, is now out of the race what do you think about that kind of um ideology that you know he's out and therefore i'm out um well i think and linking it to climate like how does it actually is it going to be a positive thing for for us moving forward or will it be a negative thing for us moving forward
1: so i'll I'll tell you my view Mm -hmm. and um you know it's it's contestable of course but here's here's what i think i think that there are uh so many vulnerable people who stand to be um, harmed even more under Trump 2.0 than under Trump, one, right, under the first iteration of this, of this presidency, that uh, I I feel an urgent sense of responsibility to do whatever I can do to not let that happen. Um, You know, I think it would be a mistake to imagine that um, what we've seen from this administration and other administrations that are akin to it, in you know different ways around the world, uh, during their during the in in the case of the United States during the first term is is it's not a safe assumption that we'll just see more of the same. Um, I think you could expect severe escalations of certain um, racist. Uh, tendencies and policies and programs. Um, you know we can we can start enumerating all of all of this the other scary things, but maybe we don't do that at least just not just yet. Um, I mean, I, I get I get the 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 disappointment. I think that it's important to to name it as such, um, because sometimes once you name it as such, it It sort of loses its hold over you a little bit. Um, but yeah l- let me just let me just reiterate that things it, my view again, is that things could be considerably worse than they already are, and um, that we need all the other efforts we just we described a couple of minutes ago but we can't let go of electoral politics, right? It's, 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 um, it's going to happen one way or another. And um, it, it, it's maybe a bit of a fantasy to imagine that by not participating in it, um, you haven't given it your sanction uh, because you could have voted otherwise.
0: Yep, definitely. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you there. I think that um, it's, it's also something that, Going a little bit off topic, but what we're seeing now with some of the policies that Trump is putting into place under the guise of, oh, we're experiencing a pandemic, so therefore I'm going to stop uh, green cards being accepted uh, through immigration. No more of those are going to come through. And we'll, we'll talk about it again in a month or so, okay? Um, travel bans, something that was a hot topic well before the pandemic, is now something that he's able to do, saying citing the pandemic as the reason, which everyone is doing around the globe. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but will it continue after the pandemic? Um, is it... You know, these are questions. They're hypotheticals, but it kind of goes into what you're saying if we let trump 2.0 happen because we decide not to vote for the person that we didn't want on the democratic side um then we we could be letting um the you know we could be letting those things just unravel and um let him have his way with um with what he wanted to do
1: yeah, and they're you know, they've been making a whole slew of even further concessions to oil and gas mm-hmm. um and big polluters, you know, not having to report this or that, not having to be subject to the scrutiny of this or that agency any longer. Um
0: forcing, because- um, forcing factory factory farm workers to um to go yep. to work despite that they've experienced um the you know I think they've had huge numbers of people within those, um, within those factory farms actually contracting COVID-19 um, but being forced to stay open because they're immigrant workers or highly uh, the high numbers of those people are immigrant workers. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible on, on so many levels.
1: I mean, yeah, they're among the most vulnerable um, groups of workers uh, that, that, that- that there are. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And so I I wholeheartedly share your uh, um, outrage about that. Um, It it was one of those, you know, headlines that pop up on your screen, just sort of hold on to you for a little longer than the others do. Um, uh, I think, you know, on, on the one hand, let's call it... Uh, it's sort of hard to tell where far-right politics and right politics shade off into each other these days. But mm-hmm. let's just say right right politics that officially is, uh, you know, either denies or downplays or is sort of a- apologetic in a strange way about about the climate crisis, right? So that officially, they, they're not the ones who are making all the noise about climate. They're the ones who are being silent on it. I mean, I myself think that uh, it's at least possible that part of the appeal of, of Trump, to use shorthand, to those right, who, who support him, it's, it's almost like um, he, he, he makes you a silent promise that as long as he's in charge, you won't have to think about this thing that we all, right, we all on some level know is happening. And so instead of having to think about it, you'll just get to vent all of your frustration and fear and terror on all of these vulnerable groups of people, right as the ones who are responsible for this or that thing you will acknowledge to be a problem. Um, and I don't know when I think about it that way, I get even angrier mm-hmm. and more determined um, to to resist this this uh, really decadent and, and violent politics. Um,
0: yeah it's crazy to see when, when you talk about it in depth how how interrelated everything really is. Um, and the reason the, the positive thing I see from this is that you don't just have to support one movement, you know, and you, and you spoke about that before, really by supporting the social justice movements, climate emergency, whatever you want to support. Uh, There are so many ways within those that you can actually help other people that are suffering. So um, I suppose one that is clear to me is our relationship with animals, how we treat them, and our current diet uh, being hugely um, interconnected with with the climate emergency. Uh, Some of the things we spoke about before with Uh, deforestation, Um, you know, we clear land to make way for soy crop and for corn to feed animals. Palm oil. Yep, palm oil, loss of habitat as a result. Um, And, you know, further down the chain as a result of factory farms, ocean acidification. Uh, Basically, there are places now, I believe the size of, um, I think it's New Jersey. I, I, don't hold me to that, but basically in the Gulf uh, below Louisiana, uh, where the Mississippi uh, runs out into yeah dead zones. Yeah. No, you know, no life can live in that ocean. Um, but then to think, oh, there's nothing I can do. I'm just an individual. Well, we eat at least three times a day, most of us, you know, so there's snacks in between. You can actually vote every day outside of going to the polls and say, I'm actually going to vote with my dollar and choose these foods uh, over others. So um, ha- having said that, having said that, and a lot of the the audience uh, that we're chat- chatting to today, the veg talk audience they're well aware of this connection. Um, and I'd love to hear just a little bit about uh, your relationship with food. Um, and if, yeah, if it's evolved due to the research that you've, that you've been doing.
1: Sure. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, food is, is a really Im- important and potentially powerful uh, space to think about climate activism for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because taste is is important, right? Taste is something that we feel, we experience sort of intensely and regularly, and that, um, you know, is a, is, a, is a sense that guides all certain, all kinds of dis- Decisions that we make, right? So, so we listen to our tastes in a way. Um, it, it's it's more concrete to us than reading a set of statistics, right? Taste, taste is um, is a powerful experience, and um, I think the more of of those kinds of of experiences we can learn to tie into our concerns, right? Or maybe more abstract concerns about climate and um, you know other important political matters, the better. So that's, that's one thing that occurred to me while you were talking that I uh, thought I would mention up front. Um, regarding my own relationship to food, I, I can't remember, I was quite young. The the first time I told my mom that I wanted to become a vegetarian. And uh, I remember she, because she, talks about this all the time, how she had to go out and learn how to, you know, she bought this vegetarian cookbook and that vegetarian cookbook and sort of learned, learned to cook that way. Um, and so I was often non-vegetarian for most, for most of my life since a very early age, um, and have, um, uh, only pretty recently, uh, made the move over to, uh, to a, to a plant-based, um, um, I guess lifestyle is, is, is how it could be described uh, as to what prompted me to make that final step, take that final step. I I, I couldn't really tell you for sure, what,
0: but what prompted you as a young girl to say, I want to be a vegetarian. Cause I, I've heard a few guests say that, but I think in the wider culture, it's not common. So do you remember, was there something there that was like. Mom, I, I have to be vegetarian.
1: I've just always been um, an animal lover. I mean since you know as early as I can remember, um, just always felt a sense of kinship um, with other you know animals and experienced my own animality not as something to be ashamed of or um, you know feel bad about, but just as part of, you know sort of intrinsic to my to my being. Um and so I I think I it would be hard to to imagine that the desire to, to become vegetarian at that age in a, you know, in a household where that was not even a thing at all. Uh no, nobody that I knew at the time uh didn't eat meat. Uh it's hard to to imagine that wasn't informed, at least in part by uh the, the just a love of of other kinds of life.
0: That's a, that, that's really cool. I uh I think hearing you say like your own experience as an animal you know we're we're also animals and that's that's something that i think a lot of us just completely put in the rearview mirror or not even it's it's just out of sight out of mind that we're uh, something higher than the the rest of uh you know rest of the beings on the planet which is which is kind of sad but uh, I think there's definitely a shift towards uh, a plant-based diet. It's happening. And we spoke about tipping points at the top of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, a shift towards a more plant-based diet is yeah, going towards, towards its own tipping point. I don't know if it's reached that stage yet. But I, I definitely hope that it, it continues because it has such an integral... Part to play in um, I suppose in the political landscape and the climate landscape politically there's subsidies given uh, to uh, to you know to dairy and meat giants uh, to continue their way of business um, and to make you know a McDonald's happy meal the price that it is today rather than what it probably you know if it was a free market a a happy meal for example would be much more expensive than uh than what we see on the menu as a result of subsidies so politically food has a huge role to to play and there's huge opportunity in terms of the change that can be seen uh individually obviously as well in terms of our choices and and seeing the power that we have uh, on our own plates um Yeah. Have you looked into subsidies and stuff much? I know we, we, we haven't really spoken about that together, but to me, it's like a crazy thing that uh, the, the huge negatives that environmentally uh, health for humans, you know, we keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it to make it as cheap as possible. Um, But yeah, it's crazy to think that that's where our tax dollars are going.
1: And, and, and not just there, but still to, I mean, Fossil fuels still receive an ungodly you know amount of of subsidies um as well so yeah absolutely it's it's a uh, start it seems as though it's starting to gain more popular attention um and so pressure you know is 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 building but i don't know if it's building fast enough uh, yeah it w- would be good right to have more pressure
0: uh, yeah it would be like go- i suppose like a huge challenge is like a lot of society has these ideas. There's a huge section of society that are very pro environment and see the interrelatedness of everything, but then seeing the, the contrast of the political landscape and how slowly it moves in terms of pushing bills through. And, um, yeah, I suppose it feels like there's a long way to go on that end. Um, I, what do you think? I don't know. Is it going to take like some figure that's really um, able to bring everyone together? Is there someone out there that can kind of lead this movement from a political perspective?
1: I mean, I think there are, maybe we have to, uh, you know, whoever the, uh, allow for the possibility that the leaders will look a little different than we're used to, uh you know, seeing, you know, as, as leaders. Um, so that's, that's maybe one way to approach, approach the question. Mm -hmm. I think myself that there is significant need to bring more people in, but in order to bring those people in, um, their concerns, right. Their urgent needs and, um, Need to be addressed. By by that I mean it's it's much harder to take a longer term perspective because even as you know we've been discussing with earlier, for example, in the context of tipping points, that a lot of these eventualities or you know potentialities are not nearly as far down the road as as many of us like to think. Um, but but even if they're two weeks from now, that's still longer term than say a single mom who has three jobs, you know, she has to get her kids fed and clothed and, um, you know, pay for rent amid now, right? This horrible situation in which the most vulnerable are, right? Sort of suffering the most. Um, So, so I think a, a great way to bring in more people is to address these other issues that, I'm not saying that once you address them, everybody, right, will automatically join the fray. But it's certainly a great way to, um, to make more people, to get more people into a position where they can participate in these kinds of movements. Um, so sometimes this, this goes under the heading of a just transition uh, and now people are talking about a just recovery from the pandemic, and and by this you can you can take in a really general way, to mean that um, a transition to a different kind of uh, economy or or society or way of life right can't leave behind can't leave people behind, and it it also can't perpetuate the same kinds of inequalities and injustices that we have today. Um, so I, I do think that that's a really important. Um, step that could make a big difference is, is one thing I'll say. Uh, another thing is to speak to your point about is political change just too slow. I think the answer is yes and no. Um, yes, because of course we all, you know, we all know this. We've all witnessed it. There are urgent problems that don't receive the timely responses that they, that they demand. Um, But look how quick, right? Look how quickly uh, major, major, major changes were just made over the past, I don't know, however many months. Um, You saw, you know, elected officials promoting policies that they could be heard, you know, attacking a couple of months ago, you know, Um, and I don't recall hearing too many people, at least early on, say, well, how are you going to pay for that? So um, uh, so that's the, that's the no part of the yes and no. We, we have all witnessed both the too slow and the wow, that was fast. So um, perhaps strategizing around those examples, you know, taking them in mind, keeping them in mind um, in a strategic way could be, uh, another, another place to, to think about, uh, action.
0: Yeah, definitely. That is, that is certainly the positive of, of the situation that we're currently in. I think to see, uh, the pandemic kind of, you know, all over the world, break down these kind of like walls that political parties build up as like, this is our ideology. We are going to stick behind it regardless. But enter COVID nineteen, and some of these things start to kind of break, and they're suddenly for those things that they were so heavily opposing. So, yeah, there's definitely a yes and no answer to to my kind of loaded questions. So, um, yeah, I appreciate uh, yeah your honest your honest answer. I think in. Firstly, I want to say we're definitely getting to the, to the end of the conversation. You have another meeting to get to. Um, firstly, I really appreciate your time. Uh, and secondly, it's a conversation I'd love to continue with you. I think this, you know, it can go in so many, uh, so many different ways, so many different topics, and we probably didn't get to every topic that we wanted to today. Um, but yeah, I would really like to continue it because I think that conversation is something that is going to help to move you know deep meaningful conversation on these topics is going to help people to understand um, and even think about different ways in which they can help bring people in uh, to the conversation that maybe have been left out of the conversation uh, and just to continue to move uh, to move forward because it is more urgent than we think It, it really is at the end of the day it is more urgent than we think and I think if you grouped all of the things that we spoke about today, um, it becomes clear that deep cultural change needs to occur for us to get the, the results that we want. It's not let's whack a bunch of solar panels on the roof and we're going to be fine and we can continue the way we were operating. It's not going to be that easy. It's going to involve um, deep cultural change. And that means us working together. So, Um, yeah, thank you. You've definitely inspired me to, uh, to think more deeply about, uh, how this is all interrelated leaving this, uh, this episode. I'd love it if you could just give us some things that we can do. So, you know, we're all going to put our headphones down and, and get back to, to life after this. What is something that you, I, the rest of us. Can do on a daily basis, or, or things that we can do on a daily basis to help.
1: Uh, great question. I, I mean, I think an experimental attitude or sort of disposition can be a really good place to start. And and what I mean by that is, um, you know, as as I've been s- suggesting, and we've talked about as well, there's so much good stuff out there already. Um, there's so many ways to be inspired and uh, activated and you never know which one is going to do it um so i would say read widely (laughs) listen widely watch widely um and and just do it attentively right so so reflect on well how how did this right how did this work on me um and and then build that right into what you what you decide to do going forward. Um, So I would suggest start a book club with, um, you know, with people, you know, Um, try to bring in people who maybe seem like they're like on the fence, you know, those who like you think you could appeal to Um, just always try to be growing in circles, bigger and bigger and bigger and, 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 and find others who are, um, who are doing similar work and join forces, um, you know, read about existing um, and, and super inspiring climate movements. Um, I, I might, I find great inspiration from, from, from these things. And I, uh, you know, I, I know I have heard from others that, that they do too. Um you could join up with a movement. Um, uh, I'm just. I'm three fifty dot org is popping into my head. Uh, I'm. I'm continuously impressed by the by young people uh, who seem to get it. Seem to get it. Um, and, They're the ones and,
0: that are going to be living it. So, well, like, yeah, more so than I know West will living it and going to be living it, um, in, in our age group as well. But yeah, young people, especially are going to, um, if, if things continue see a much worse place to live than, than we are. So yeah, definitely young people are inspiring.
1: And, And maybe, you know, one other thing to say is, um, perhaps this is not true for everyone, but my sense is that for a lot of people, the way things are now, if it's not actively right harming you big time, it, it's probably at least some of the time not very fulfilling. Um, by that I mean a sort of consumerist lifestyle, um, running on a hamster wheel, you know, nonstop working yourself all all day and all night. Uh, to either be able just to afford right just to make ends meet or not even be able to just make ends meet or if you are in a more fortunate position and you you can make ends meet and, and then have some left over i i just um the 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 constant buying culture isn't a very meaningful one and i think that many people feel that um and that the um covid has sort of forced a reckoning with that, at least on the part of, of some people. So thinking about that, sitting with that, coming to terms with that can, can also be empowering in so far as it uh, opens up the future as, as not just a big scary place, but also uh, a realm of meaningful possibilities, right? That may not look anything like what we're used to now, but that doesn't have to be terrifying. That can also be beautiful.
0: Extremely well said. I think a, a great place to to end today's conversation, at least. Uh, I, I foresee this one continuing and, and it should. It, it really needs to continue. Uh, something that shouldn't stop here. So thanks again, Steph. Uh, it's been, it's been awesome. We haven't met in person yet. We're both sitting here in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> um, so it'll be really cool uh, uh, to meet up and, and dis- and we can discuss this further by email uh, listeners. If there are any questions from today's podcast, please let me know. I can uh, chat with Steph and, uh, and bring you some answers uh, through, a, uh, I don't know, through our website or, or some other way, but is there any way we can find you and, and, um, and your work?
1: So uh, I'm just finishing up the, the last touches on, on my, uh, my website.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I'll have an academic website up, uh, just my So stephanie.rove.com um, is, is the website. I'm also on a website, uh, academia.edu, which is where some of my published work is, uh, available um yeah those are the two main the two main places for now Beautiful. um but but thanks so much for having me it was great talking with you and uh i love the show uh, so thanks for that too
0: appreciate it thank you very much uh yeah be safe uh enjoy your next meeting and thanks. i'm really looking forward to getting this one out there and and as i said continuing this it's uh, it's really inspiring uh, so thank you very much
1: thank you take care
0: Hi, Veggie Mates. Thank you once again for tuning in today. It was great to spend some time with you all, and I truly appreciate you supporting the show. If you're inspired by today's conversation and want to learn more about climate change and the challenge ahead of ours and future generations, go and check out these books. Firstly, We Are the Weather by Jonathan Safran Foer, and secondly, An Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace-Wells. I thought both were great reads, well worth your time, and it's uh, definitely good to educate ourselves on the challenge ahead and ways we can help individually. Until next week, guys, keep it plant-based, and I will catch you all for another chat.